Thank you, Gloria. It is a joy to be with you this morning. The difficult part of having so many roles is being free on Sunday mornings. So I'm glad it worked out for today. And what a privilege to be given a text from the prophet Isaiah, a book so rich with images, familiar to us through some of the hymns and Handel's Messiah, the stump of Jesse, the lion and the lamb lying together, beating swords into plowshares, O oh, comfort, comfort, O oh, my people, says your God. And to us a child is born, a son is given, and we shall call him Emmanuel. The fifth gospel, indeed. Recently, I participated in an online retreat offered by one of my favorite authors and artist, Jan Richardson. Three times a week, we received an email with a painting and a brief reflection and a question. Her first painting was called At the Threshold of Wonder. You can see it on the screen. It drew me completely in with its beautiful colors, the midnight blue, the reds, the warm glowing gold. It felt like a meadow that I wanted to jump into. At the same time, I was completely frustrated with the golden threads. What the heck were those triangles doing in these different spaces? I felt like I was caught in a spider web like a fly, and I couldn't figure out why. I kept going back to that image over the next couple weeks, wondering about the hold it had to me and the meaning. Finally, after several weeks, I realized there was a path beginning at the bottom or the left and leading along the webbing to the top right. And I began to ponder what is the path opening up or calling me into? And the frustrating webbing along the side became a space to hang my questions and my insights that guided me along this path. In today's scripture, the prophet Isaiah is painting an image as well. An image of God that is at once inviting and maybe not frustrating, but frightening. So far beyond anything we can ask or imagine. Or in the words of James Howell, Methodist pastor in Charlotte, North Carolina, even a slight brush from the mere hem of God's garment would bowl us over. Yet, Isaiah is inviting us to lean in, into the overwhelming glory and holiness of God. 
with images shimmering of beauty, of a throne and a robe that fills the temple, as well as complete mystery of fiery snake-like creatures, seraphs, combined with earth-shaking power and swirling smoke that overwhelms our senses. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. It is a moment where heaven touches earth, both inviting and terrifying. For who can see the face of God and live? What is it about this text, this vision, that is drawing you in? What is it about this text, this vision, that frightens you? We too catch glimpses of God's glory, maybe not quite as mysterious or earth-shaking as it was given to Isaiah. We too experience holy moments in worship or nature or art or dreams in soaring hymns and glorious sunsets, in the vastness of the nighttime sky, or the words of a poem, or standing on top of a mountain. We stand in awe while also feeling our own smallness. Even the hem of God's presence is too much. And so it is that in those moments we cry out with Isaiah, woe is me, as all his shortcomings come to his mind and those of God's people at that time. Unclean lips, words and deeds done and undone, ways they have not acknowledged the glory of God. As mysterious as this moment is, it is anchored at a specific time and place of history with a little introductory phrase. In the year that King Uzziah died. After years of stability under King Uzziah, we are at a point of change and transition. Maybe even the brink of disaster, a point of political crisis. This seems far removed from us. We don't know much about Uzziah. Yet, we come to points of disaster or crisis in our lives that we remember vividly years or decades later. In the year of 9-11, in the year that Russia invaded Ukraine, in the year COVID shut down the world, in the year that George Floyd died, in the year that Emmett Till was lynched, Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on a city bus in Montgomery, as Martin Luther King Jr. took up leadership 
as James Cone describes in The Cross and the Lynching Cree. When King agreed to act as the most visible leader in the civil rights movement, he recognized what was at stake. In taking up the cross of black leadership, he was nearly overwhelmed with fear. This fear reached a climax one night in January of 1956, in the early weeks of the Montgomery bus boycott, when he received a midnight telephone call threatening to blow up his house if he did not leave Montgomery in three days. Later he told how that call created a spiritual midnight as he thought about what could happen to him, his wife, and his little baby girl. Later recalling this incident, King told how fear drove him from bed to the kitchen where he prayed out loud, pleading, Lord, I am down here trying to do what's right. But Lord, I must confess that I am weak now. I'm faulting, I'm losing my courage. King said he heard a voice, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness, stand up for justice, stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even to the end of the world. There are moments that shape us where we are shaken and cry out, woe is me, I am lost. In the year that white supremacists rallied in Charlottesville, I sat on my front porch literally thinking, woe is me, I am lost. What had I done pastoring for the past 18 years? Had I completely missed the boat? Had I created a God in my image, tame and small to fit my world? Who was the God I worshipped? I had been completely unprepared and blind to half of my town. White supremacists were rallying and marching in the middle of my city, and I didn't know what to do or how we had gotten there. I spent the day mostly on my front porch after having been downtown earlier. I was glued to the internet, my phone, texting with friends, being in touch with members of my congregation, getting information about what was happening, and listening to the helicopter hovering over downtown. That day, three people died. I had not been prepared. Civil rights legend Ruby Sales asked, where does it hurt? A question she found that had the power to drive to the heart of the matter. Where does it hurt? Echoes the prophet Isaiah, woe is me. For we are people of unclean words and deeds. We get to the end of our rope, standing there empty-handed. It's a scary moment. Scary because it requires us 
to wrestle like Jacob all night long and not let go until we receive a blessing. It is scary because it asks us to lead like Moses on journeys into unknown wildernesses that we feel completely unequipped for. It is scary because it calls us to repentance like Isaiah when we come face to face with our failure and inadequacy in the presence of the overwhelming power and glory of God. It is scary because it is so beyond anything we can describe or imagine. But luckily, that is not the end. That is where God reaches out and touches us with mercy or grace or forgiveness or healing or resurrection. As Isaiah describes this, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. It is interesting that in the midst of this vision, in the midst of woe is me, I am lost, Isaiah does not shrink away, shut down, or let go. In the midst of the realization that he was lost, he remains open. He is willing to be touched by God. And only then does he hear the voice of God saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And he said, here I am, send me. One of my spiritual directors, Mary Her, once said, call is always impossible and it is always simple. Because in that moment, we encounter and experience a God that is the holy other yet at the same time in touching distance with compassion reaching out toward us. For God is already present where he calls us to go. I can't fully explain the mystery of my experience that August in Charlottesville. Why in the midst of my woe is me, I did not resign from pastoring or disappear in some hole or move away. Why I stayed open, leaned in, and began engaging with a group of clergy in Charlottesville around anti-racism work. Why I kept asking God, where does this hurt? And kept pondering, who is the God I worship? But just a few months before that fateful day, I had begun painting watercolor, and I had kept painting. And it became a form of prayer for me, of mercy and grace, a way for me to reach toward God and God to reach toward me, a way to listen and watch for beauty in the midst of brokenness, creation alongside chaos. 
God was indeed present, not just thundering, but reaching out, asking, inviting, listening, urging, and waiting. We all experience individually or as a community times of death. But God has always been a God of the resurrection. And God delights in restoring what has been damaged or lost. That is the promise of Isaiah. In the midst of the chaos of our days and lives, may we cry out with the prophet Isaiah and with Peter the disciple, Woe is us, that we may know the God who reaches out to touch us, the God who tore open the heavens and came down in Jesus the Christ, causing Peter to leave his boat and walk on water, causing a bleeding woman to touch the hem of Jesus' garment and find healing, causing a woman by a well to invite the whole village to come and see the one who told me everything I ever did. May we claim Isaiah's vision with power and hope, and may we respond likewise when God's glory shakes our foundation. Here I am, I will go, amen.